Top of the 5 o'clock hour here in our nation's capital. It's the youngest in charge room at Linnell Willingham. In for Craig Hoffman here on the Hoffman Show, which you can catch weekdays. 4 to 7, right here on the Team 980. Abbreviated show today. We'll take you to 6.30 before we hand things over uh, to our coverage of Maryland Terrapins basketball. They're at home hosting Alcorn State. Right now, though, you see it is 5 o'clock here in the district. That means it's time for Not My Beat. Today's top story from the perspective of someone who's there. You are looking live. This just in. Not My Beat. Joining us today for Not My Beat is our pal David Harrison. He is the host of the Locked On Commanders podcast. He's also the co-host of the Locked On Bucks podcast. Make sure you give him a follow on Twitter at DHarrison82. David, what is going on, my brother? How are you? What's up, man? How you doing? I am good, man. Good. Long time no see. I hope you had a happy holiday with the fam, my man. Um, But, David, obviously we got to get to the the heavy-hitting news at hand. Yesterday, or was it Sunday? Montez Sweat in the comments that he made post-game about the state of the Washington Commanders. I believe he said, when I got traded to Chicago, we're playing for something. The guys in Washington were just waiting for the season to end. Now, you've been in that locker room each and every week, multiple times per week. Is that the vibe yeah. you get from this Washington Commanders locker room, or, or do you call him poppycock on what Montez Sweat's talking about? Yeah, I mean, that's not the vibe I get. And, and you know, watching them at practice and talking to the guys in the locker room, and then specifically when that trade went down, you know, that's that's following, you know, the loss of the Philadelphia Eagles. And a lot of people wonder, you know, if, if they come away with that win, does the trade still happen, or or do they keep the keep the band together uh, and all that stuff? But, you know, to to a guy, when you talk to them in the locker room, you know, they, they made a point to make sure it was known that, like, this, you know, no matter what, the outside world thinks or what the national narrative is going to be that nobody inside the organization was, you know, waving the flag on the season. Uh, now, obviously, you know, things haven't gone well uh, since then. And there's, there's certainly some frustration and all that stuff, but that's, that's kind of what, you know, surprised me the most, I think from, from what Montez uh, said is that, you know, he kind of left an organization that was just waiting for the end of the season yeah. uh, to come. Cause there's definitely still a lot of, of football left to be played at that point. Well, David, I, I will say this. When you get outscored 90-25 to 25 in the span of eight quarters, I mean, some people may think that you're tanking on the season. Obviously, Washington coming off of two really tough losses, Thanksgiving against Dallas and then uh, two Sundays ago against Miami. As we reset things here and look at the state of the team, big picture here in the final month of the season, is there one thing in particular or a couple of different things, David, that you really are going to be focused in on here in this final month? Yeah, I mean, I just want to see Sam Howell continue to get, you know, smarter as he gets more experience. You know, with any young quarterback, you're going to have growing pains, obviously. And we've we've certainly seen plenty of them with Sam this, this year. Uh, but we've also seen, you know, really good stretches where you can see that growth and that experience really kind of taking hold. And I think lately, you know, especially with the, with the pick sixes that are happening, I think we've seen a young quarterback who just kind of understands that in order for his team to be competitive, he's got to make plays. And that level of pressure – you know, can do a number on any quarterback, veteran or, or young. But, you know, the younger you are, the more pressure it's going to put on you. And, and then, you know, it, it colors the decisions that you start to make. But at the end of the day, like, it's it's harder. It's easier to, to say it than it is to do it. But, you know, the quarterback needs right. uh, to just make the right decision for the team uh, in that moment versus thinking, you know, big picture and the entirety of the game. So, you know, on, on second and eight, 
uh, you know, in the first quarter and you're down 10 already or something like you, you need to take, take the four down or the four yard check down instead right. of trying to, trying to missile the, the deep ball down, you know, between two defenders and, and things like that. And I think that's where, you know, the, the most growth can happen for Sam right now is learning how to quarterback a struggling team. Cause you know, it's, it's easy to quarterback a winning team and don't be wrong. Like the, the act of winning itself is not easy, but when everything is going well, it, it's a lot easier to be the, the leader of the team, the quarterback of the team, but it's when things are going bad and your smart decisions weigh even heavier uh, that things really get challenging. So I, I just want to see even more growth from him uh, in that realm if we can. David, I want to ask you about Sam in a little bit more detail, but from a different vantage point, right? We've you know gotten to know this young man over the past 12 to 18 months. And I, for you, someone that's really in that locker room on a day-in and day-out basis and around the team so much, how have you seen his demeanor or have you seen his demeanor change throughout the season? Because as you mentioned there have been just all types of peaks and valleys and roller coasters that he has been on this year with this offense. When you talk to him and, and see him in the locker room, you know, just how, how is he handling himself? Uh, he's the same dude. I mean, he's, yeah. he's the same guy uh, that I met when he was a, you know, third string rookie quarterback, you know, coming right out of rookie camp and, and all this stuff. Like, yeah, he, he's the same guy. And, you know, I always go back to, I talked to Deami, uh Deami Brown at one point and, and, you know, he said, you know, if Sam, if Sam's demeanor ever does change, he's like, I might freak out because that would be the first time I ever saw it in my life. And <laughs> that might mean something really bad is going right. on. And, you know, I, I mean, I think you can tell the fatigue, you know what I mean? Like you can see yeah. the fatigue on him. It, it's kind of like, you know how they do like with presidents, like they take a picture of the president at yes, his inauguration yes. and then <laughs> show it like four years later, like you can just see the fatigue yeah. on him. But I mean, I think that's natural. That's, that's just the natural course of things. And obviously when you're losing, you know, no competitor is going to take that well. So, uh, I think you can see that, but like as far as his demeanor is concerned, like it, he's the same guy. You know, you, you talk to him at the press conference, talk to him in the locker room. Uh, you know, you see him, you know, throwing down cards or something in the locker room when uh, when the guys have kind of yeah. a down moment to do that, and you know, players have down moments to right. do that kind of stuff. It's okay, <laughs> um, but you know, he's the same guy. The guys are all the same to him, and I think that's really the big thing. Is like you know, you would be worried if you know. It, I mean, you'd be worried if his demeanor did change, but you'd also be worried if the demeanor of the guys around him changed. Uh, and, you know, the dynamic in the locker room, you know, obviously, again, like you said, you can you can feel the losses, you feel the frustration from that. But as far as like the personal one to one relationships and and all that stuff and interactions are all the same. And I think that just kind of shows that they're, they're at least on the same page, even if uh, they're not necessarily getting the results that they want. We're joined right now on the Ace Law guest hotline by our pal David Harrison. He's he's the host of the Locked On Commanders podcast and the co-host of the Locked On Bucks podcast. Make sure you give him a follow on Twitter at dharrison82. David, been a little while since we caught up. Love your perspective on this particular item as well. Uh, John Keim and Jeremy Fowler of ESPN obviously put out their piece last week kind of uh, documenting what the past four or five months have been like in Ashburn. They went and highlighted, you know, the involvement of the ownership group on the trade. Uh, but one thing they really got into the nuts and bolts of was Eric Bieniemy and how he has been perceived in that locker room with amongst his peers, with the coaching staff, and then the players. Um, like I said, we've been saying it all show long here. You are around this team on a day-in, day-out basis. First of all, I just want to get your initial reaction to when you read the story. I mean, you know, it's I don't I don't really think there's anything too outlandish in the whole in all the Eric Bieniemy stuff. I mean. Um, we're all creatures of comfort, you know, um, 
So to go from a, a relatively soft-spoken offensive coordinator like Scott Turner, who, uh, you know, I've never been in a meeting with either EB or Scott Turner, but just from their outward appearance, you know, from what I can best kind of take away from seeing them on the practice field, like Scott's more of a break it down, explain it, talk about it type of coach. And EB is more of a, here's what you messed up. Don't mess it up again. I'll go do it again type of coach. And, you know, some guys prefer one method. Some guys prefer another method. Um, you know, the, the, the biggest, the biggest tricks of leadership is to be able to communicate with all sorts of different kinds of people while not sacrificing who you are um, because, you know, people will sniff out fake in a heartbeat. And, and as soon as you're, as soon as the people who are, are supposed to follow you, sniff out that you're being fake. You, you've lost the entire room, not just the guys that you're being fake to, but the ones who, who believe you to be a real dude are also going to see that you're being fake, even if it's just other people. So you, you really kind of have to balance, you know, how to, how to approach other people, but also how to maintain, you know, your sense of self. And that's, that's really kind of the balancing act that doesn't always go right. But, you know, if, if the biggest complaint, and this isn't necessarily the biggest complaint, this might be the biggest complaint that is out there right now. Right. But if the biggest complaint is, we're used to having Mondays off and now we have Tuesdays off like that, <laughs> you know, that's honestly like, I don't want, I don't want to minimize family time and, and routines and, right. and all that stuff. But listen, you can, you can, you can adjust your life to have Tuesday off instead of Monday off and find uh, a happiness. You know what I mean? Like that, right. that, that can't ruin your life. Like if that, that you can't, you, nobody, and I'm not saying anybody is, but like, you can't be so fragile in your daily life, but that type of a change is just going to mess you up because um, that's, I mean, you just can't, you can't be that. You can't have that lack of resilience and be in this profession. Um, now that being said, mm-hmm. honestly, I just, I agree with it. Like I agree with, it just, it makes more sense to me to come out of Sunday, win or lose um, and, and break down the tape. Like right. why take a day off, come back the next day, break down the tape of what you just did, then come back the very next morning. Now let's talk about the future. No, like go, Go to the meeting room the very next day, and it's, it's probably a fatigue thing. You get home late from the game, and you gotta be in there early Monday. And I get that, but right. you know, break down what just happened while it's still fresh, and while while we don't have to worry about anything else. Go home Tuesday, digest it, let the lesson sink in from a coaching perspective. Like I promise you, he's not taking Tuesday off. He's getting started on working for the next opponent, and then you come in Wednesday, and boom, you're starting off fresh uh, uh, with with a 24 hour window to really kind of reset and. So to me, like, it just makes sense to have that Monday film review, Tuesday, day off, Wednesday, we get back to game prep uh, schedule anyway. But again, like, like I said, we're all creatures of, of comfort. You know, if, right. if uh, I mean, you know, just for example, we just got an email today that uh, we're supposed to have 1150 press conference with Sam Howell on Wednesday. And instead we're doing 1155 practice and Sam will talk after practice. And, uh, you know, for me, no big deal. But for somebody out there, that might be yeah. uh, a really, you know, drastic shift in their schedule that they don't appreciate. So we're all we're all different and try not to judge people too much. But like, if that is, and I'm not saying this, but if that is the biggest shakeup that EB has caused uh, for the totality of the season, that's it's relatively small compared to what some people want uh, there to be. David, I'll say this: a lot of negative reaction and backlash from uh, Kime and Fowler's story. I think it paints EB in a very damn good light. If anyone knows. Uh, what the culture has been like here in D.C. for the past 20-plus years. David, I'll let you go on this, my man. Uh, I actually think I caught you talking about this uh, either yesterday or the day before. Washington right now slated to have the number four overall pick in April's draft. If the season ended today, David, and you have this data to work with, at pick number four, if you're Washington and a quarterback is there, do you take them or do you go best player available? No. No. We go Alufashanu. We go Alufashanu number four. Right as of right now. As of I mean, right you now. Know, there's, 
there's a lot of time left. And, and truth be told, I've only watched two games of Olu. I've only one, watched one game of Joe Alt. Mm-hmm. And these are these are broadcast copies. Um, you know, I haven't been able to get my hands on any actual like coaches' film uh, yet. But the, the fortunate thing about tackles is, for the most part, you see yes. what you need to see uh, even on the broadcast tape of offensive tackles. But you go over to Sean, who I, I love Joe Alt, uh, but I think Olu's just the, the more natural tackle. I think it, it comes, I don't say easier, but a little bit more naturally for him. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we talk about projecting to the next level. Uh, like you, you don't want the guy who is kind of out there like on an eight, you know, out of a 10 scale kind of already at an eight level, uh, eight, eight right. level of, of energy yeah. output to, to perform the way he is. You want the guy who's kind of like working at a six, because uh, then if you can get him to crank up the effort even more, maybe you can give him uh, even better. And again, that's very, very preliminary, yeah. uh, premature, you know, type of evaluation. But, uh, you know, look, it, it's going to depend on the coach, obviously. It's going to depend on the GM and all those things. But I think Sam has done more than enough to deserve another crack at you know, continuing his development. Year two is typically the year that players take their biggest leap. Well, for Sam, you know, next year would be his year two of, of functional uh, experience. So I think that's that's incredibly important. Um, and just, I mean, how do you put how do you put any quarterback uh, behind this offensive exactly. line? And they've done better as, a, as you know since the changes were made after the New York Giants game. They've done better, but even even though they've done better, it still hasn't been great. And I watched Tom Brady flounder, and you know, I know he's not mobile, but I watched Tom Brady flounder behind. Uh, a subpar offensive line. You know, you put the greatest uh, in the world back there, it's not going to matter. You know, the Miami Dolphins are struggling uh, to keep offensive linemen healthy, and Tua is not uh, being as efficient. And, you know, Granny lost Tyreek last night specifically, but even before that in some other games where, where teams can bring pressure, uh, he's, he's had some struggles. You know what I mean? Like, you you got you to gotta give a guy a platform to perform off of. And right now, uh, you know, I don't, I don't care what quarterback or how much hype he's got or how many highs he's got in his closet. Uh, you got to shore up the trenches. Yeah, it's sure. I always go back to Daniel Jeremiah and Buffy Brooks, man. They say if you're really good in the trenches, it's hard to be a bad team. Well, if you're really bad in the trenches, it's really hard to be a good team. And that's what we're seeing right now from Washington. Yes, we are. David, I know you got to get prepared for an eventful media availability tomorrow with Ron Rivera and the boys out in Ashburn. Uh, we will do it again soon, my man. Thank you for giving me some time. Yeah, man. Appreciate you. That is David Harrison. Make sure you give him a follow on Twitter at dharrison82. And then check out the Locked On Commanders podcast. You can get that on YouTube. You can get that wherever you download your podcast as well. Uh, David, I didn't even mention it while I was on the air. Really one of the most diverse backgrounds of anyone that covers the team. Military brat growing up. Spent a lot of time uh, in the service. I don't know how long he spent uh, in the Army, but I know his vantage point and his idea of leadership uh, is a little bit different than the average Joe because of his military background, but always good uh, getting some time with him. When we come back, we got some breaking news, Anthony Haney. We'll get to that uh, on the next side, on the other side of this break. And then the most highly anticipated power ranking segment in all of sports talk radio. It's Nell's Super Six Pack next here on the Team 980. Rocking and rolling here on this Tuesday edition of the Hoffman Show, Team 980. We're always streaming live nationally on the free Odyssey app. It's the Youngest in Charge movement, Linnell Willingham, filling in for Craig Hoffman as he does the Lord's work, I would call it. Being a good citizen. Craig Hoffman, jury duty right now. He may join us here in our next segment for Overreaction Tuesday. We don't know whether or not he'll be out in time for that. But I said I had some breaking news. Want to get to Nell's Super Six Pack here in a second. My top six teams in the NFL. But there is... There is some breaking news. Now, the story broke yesterday via Sam Fortier of the Washington Post. You heard him right here on this very radio program. Uh, There's rumor that Ted Leonsis wants to move monumental sports 
to the Commonwealth state of Virginia. Now, initially when the story came out, I believe it obviously because it comes from a credible guy, Sam over at the Washington Post, but it didn't make a whole lot of sense to me and I was kind of calling poppycock on it. Well, while we were in segment with David, we did get some breaking news. There is a press conference scheduled for 9 o'clock a.m. Eastern time tomorrow morning in the Commonwealth State. It'll be Ted Leonsis side-by-side with Governor Glenn Youngkin. And it's at that time Ted Leonsis expected to announce monumental sports intention to move to the state of Virginia. Now we'll break that down and get into a deep dive of that and overreaction Tuesday coming up, but I have so many thoughts on this. I don't know who to blame in this situation. I don't know if it's fair to blame anyone in this situation, but I do know this. I'll give you a little real quick tease of how I feel about this. There are so many more pressing issues that the District of Columbia has to deal with. That you know what? Ted Ted Leonsis and Monumental Sports, Caps and Wizards leaving? See ya! I mean, that's one less problem uh, for Mario Bowser. We'll get into Mario Bowser and this story coming up in Overreaction Tuesday. Right now, though, I want to get to the most highly anticipated power ranking segment in all of Sports Talk Radio. It's time for Nell Super Six Pack. Nell Super Six Pack. Three, three, two, two, y'all. So I'll be honest with you. Now, Super Six Pack this week, it was kind of difficult for me to put this list together. A lot of moving parts. It was an absolutely ludicrous week number 14 in the National Football League. And it feels like as we sit here right now on December the 12th, 2023, it really feels like we're getting ready to start separating the contenders from the pretenders. So let's get to it. Let's waste no more time. Nell Super Six Pack, my top six teams in the National Football League. I'll be honest, getting to number one on this list was kind of hard today. It just was. We'll start at number six, though. And I'll be honest, this is the spot in this list that is really difficult to crack. Last week, I had the Miami Dolphins coming in at number six, and we all saw them just completely vomit on themselves last night on Monday Night Football, as your boy projected and predicted, by the way. They're just fraudulent. The Dolphins and the Detroit Lions, it's like the Spider-Man meme. Two two teams pointing at each other, trying to mimic and, 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 and be each other. They are who we thought they were. Two fraudulent teams. Miami's just soft. They were in my Super Six Pack last week. But they're not going to make it this week. Coming in at number six, Enel's Super Six Pack, my top six teams in the National Football League. Be prepared to have your jaw drop when I say this. I'm going to go with Joe Flacco in the Cleveland Browns. Here's why. When you look at the Cleveland Browns, they're damn good on both sides of the trenches. Offensive line and defensive line. They had their fourth Different quarterback win a game this past Sunday against the Jacksonville Jaguars. They're just a tough team. 
They run the ball well. They don't give up big plays defensively. All they were missing was competent quarterback play, and Joe Flacco turning back the clock. Three touchdowns, 311 yards passing. It was vintage Joe Flacco on Sunday. Bad news, though, for the Browns and why they almost didn't make this list. The two starting tackles, Jedrick Willis and uh, Daywan Jones, both out for the remainder of the 2023 season. So what was once a strength for the Cleveland Browns, talking about their offensive line, now a weakness when you're down your top two tackles. They come in at number six in their Super Six Pack. Number five in their Super Six Pack, my top six teams in the National Football League. Number five, making their lowest ranking of the year. Patrick Mahomes and the Kansas City Chiefs, they suffered another loss on Sunday in controversial fashion against Josh Allen and the Bills. Patty Mahomes, 271 yards passing, a touchdown, an interception. He was pretty good, I thought. But, man, another week of bad drops. Canarius Tony had a couple of ugly drops. Rasheed Rice had a bad drop. But the moment that really caught everyone's attention from this football game is Kadarius Toney lining up offsides on a potential game-winning touchdown that he ends up scoring on a lateral from Chiefs tight end Travis Kelsey. You all have probably heard all the audio making the rounds. We don't know if we want to blame the officials or we want to blame Kadarius Toney. Either way, the big caveat and the big thing that I'm paying attention to from their loss on Sunday. They held the Buffalo Bills to 20 points. They got down 14 to nothing in this football game. And it never stopped them. They never blinked, never phased them. This is a damn good football team that's just waiting for this offense to get on the right track. They were without Orlando Brown and without Pacheco this past week. And they still... Almost knocked off a pretty damn good football team in the Buffalo Bills. Defensively, I love what they're doing, but they got some work to do. Number five, or excuse me, number four, and that was Super Six Pack, my top six teams in the National Football League. The Philadelphia Eagles come in at number four, and I'll be honest, it may be time to ring the alarm in the city of brotherly love. It may be time to hit the panic button for the Dirty Birds. Another loss on Sunday, back-to-back losses For the Philadelphia Eagles, they get down by the Cowboys. And it felt like watching that football game, the Philadelphia never really was in this thing. The Jalen Carter return touchdown kind of made me feel like they had a fighting chance. But for whatever reason, Dallas defensively, sticky in coverage, everything was difficult for Philadelphia. The pass rush got home when they needed to. And then here's the most important thing. On its surface, it'll look like Philadelphia ran the ball well, 23 carries, 106 yards, 4.6 yards a pop. I thought that's where Dallas really won this football game. They did a damn good job stopping Philadelphia's running attack. They made them one-dimensional. Pretty balanced game uh, in terms of the pass-to-run balance, 27 pass plays to 23 run plays for Philadelphia. But defensively, it's been a... Work in progress for that Philadelphia Eagles defense. The worst third-down defense in all the National Football League. One of the worst pass defenses in all the National Football League. And it's crazy because just last year, defense is what was winning games for the Philadelphia Eagles. Not this past Sunday, though. They lost 33-13 to at the hands of the Dallas Cowboys. 
They come in at number four in Nell's Super Six Pack. Number three, those Dallas Cowboys. Dak Prescott and company just playing damn good football. They're averaging 40 points per game at home in their last, I believe, 14 contests uh, in Jerry's world. Dak Prescott on an MVP pace right now, defensively, still continuing to get after the quarterback. Shout out Stephon Gilmore, by the way. Got challenged during the game by A.J. Brown. He called him old. He said, your old ass can't guard me. And what did Stephon Gilmore go out and do? Put the absolute clamps on A.J. Brown. Yeah, A.J. finishes with nine catches for 94 yards. But if you watched some of the key pass breakups that Stephon Gilmore had, it was just big-time football uh, being played by the veteran corner. One thing that Dallas constantly has been scrutinized for Dak, at least, is turning the football over. This year, after leading the league in interceptions last year, Dak has been damn good protecting the football. And I feel like right now, outside of the San Francisco 49ers, the Dallas Cowboys, the class of the NFC. Number two in L Super Six Pack, the top six teams in the NFL, is the San Francisco 49ers. They come in at two. Interesting game they played on Sunday. Against the Seattle Seahawks, the Geno Smithless Seattle Seahawks, I might add as well. Drew Locke and company were going tit for tat with the 49ers for the better part of that first half. But you all know how it goes when a team is just better than you. The dam eventually busts at some point. They end up winning 28 to 16. But I do have some concerns about the Seahawks, uh, excuse me, about the Niners defensively. Drew Locke and company really had no problem moving the ball up and down the field in between the 20s. They're going to have to clean that up. Uh, Come playoff time, Brock Purdy was damn good. Almost 400 yards passing, two touchdowns and a pick. Christian McCaffrey running for 145 yards. Color me ignorant for saying this. It's probably the most dynamic skill position group in all the National Football League talking about uh, those 49ers. Number one in Nell's Super Six Pack, a top six teams in the NFL, the Baltimore Ravens. The L.A. Rams took them to the wire this past Sunday. It was rainy. The conditions weren't ideal at all. Super cool. Can you go to break? It's 531. (laughs) Well, okay. Anyways, the Ravens, I thought, darn good on Sunday. Another game where they have to battle back and fight adversity. And Lamar Jackson was super cool. Zay Flowers scores the game-winning touchdown. It was a damn good game. I guess Craig Hoffman's ready to join us. He'll do so next in Overreaction Tuesday. It's the Hoffman Show, Team 980. We're always streaming live nationally on the free Odyssey app. It's the Youngest in Charge movement, Linnell Willingham, sitting in with Craig Hoffman, or sitting with Craig Hoffman, I guess. Is Craig Hoffman going to join us? We're doing the ultimate role reversal here today. It's Overreaction Tuesday here on the Hoffman Show. And guess what? Hoffman is going to be the one doing the overreactions. Wait, I am? I was supposed to prepare those for this segment? Yes, you were, my friend. I How thought I was just going to show up to set you up to do your usual usual deal. No, I actually had I actually went a completely different route this week in terms of my overreactions. None of them are related to the Burgundy and Gold. They are all big picture overreactions, correct? Um, I mean, I'm interested in big picture overreactions. I don't know if there's anything super imminent. Uh, that that needs to be discussed. I, I could throw one at you. There, I have one like 
more pressing commanders take if you like it. Oh, you know, I want it. Ones. Okay. Um, I think we have reached a point where Jamin Davis is borderline criminally underrated. And obviously that's in the news because Jamin right. gets uh, his, he's hurt and, and is going to be on season ending IR. But Jamin Davis is a good NFL linebacker. Um, it's hard to be anything better than a good NFL linebacker these days. The position is so challenging, like unless you're Fred Warner or a select few other guys. But Jamin Davis is a fine NFL linebacker who has had some big spots where he's been exposed to doing a job that's, you know, way harder than it should be because of a variety of reasons. But a lot of the, the vitriol and dislike of Jamin Davis, I think, came from his draft position, which is not his fault. Um, at the end of the day, is he worth the first round pick? No, but I think people still think he's, he's terrible. Like he was the player that he was as a rookie and he's just not, he's a good NFL football player. I don't know what that means in terms of his contract after next year. That doesn't mean I'd pick up his fifth year. Ah, there we go. So how much do you really like him is what I ask. Like, I want to see what he does next year. And then if I, like, if he's willing to take a reasonable deal, I don't have linebacker salaries in front of me. Um, so I don't know like what that would look like to be, you know, a, a league average linebacker. I would be moderately interested in in bringing him back. Like I don't think he needs to be replaced because of play. It might be a value play where the draft pick is going to be that much cheaper and it's worth it on that level, but at the end of the day, like we're talking about a guy who is a pretty solid football player that brings a lot to the table. And I think that is not what most people think of him. Yeah, I don't think that of him. I, I'm more, to me, Jamin is a better athlete than he is football player right now. I do think, like in today's day and age, for him to be as much of a liability and have the inconsistencies that he does in coverage, I think it's like it's hard to be a linebacker in today's day and age and like not be able to cover consistently. Now, physically, I think he should be able to cover. He's fast. Well, like, define He's got lateral. not be able to cover consistently. Because I think that's where people get it twisted. Like, it's, he's not heinously awful in coverage. I don't and think I he does a good job getting hands on guys. I think I get, he gets beat off the release a lot, and his makeup speech should allow him to capitalize on that and catch my up. My question is, why is he put in so many man-to-man situations in space? And, like, that is a But thing isn't that, that the job of a linebacker in today's day and age? Like, if you're playing – like, look at what – Think about what the Niners ask Fred Warner and Dre Greenlaw to do. You got if well, you're a backer in today's day and age, and you can't cover guys in the league. If, if you can't carry the number three up the seam in today's day and age at linebacker, you're probably not a damn good one. Well, I think he like that is different than being one on one with Saquon Barkley on the outside or D- Devon Achan outside. Like that's a different ask, and I think the Commanders too often are like. Like, think of how often Antonio Gibson gets one-on-one matchups when he's split out against linebackers. Right. Not with the ease that Jamin Davis seems to be put in those situations, which tells me schematically that there's something else you could do about that, whether yeah. that's using your safeties in a different way, whether that's just deciding, hey, if we get that look, we're going to zone it up. But, like, they put him in those man-to-man situations, and those are tough asks to guard the best athletes in the league in space. Yes, is he a better athlete, quote-unquote, than linebacker? Sure, but he's a premier athlete. He's a you know, 6'4", 250 pounds and runs a 4'4". Like, of course he's a better athlete than he is a football player. But that athleticism shows up in major ways. The way he chases guys down makes the, the Russell Wilson play, the Bijan Robinson interception against Atlanta. Like, the biggest defensive plays they've made this year, and I realize it's not a long list, he has made. And so I think we've gotten to a point where they, people think he sucks, and he doesn't suck. Well, he's I think a good a NFL hyperbole. football player. He's a good NFL football player. Yeah, I think I'm... My thing with Jamin is 
I already said this, is just kind of figuring out what he is. Like, is he a three-down player? Is he somebody that you would rather use more situationally? Because I think with this athleticism, the sky's the limit. I just think, and I think this goes to what Ron spoke about yesterday, they're asking him to do a multitude of different things. It's hard for him to get comfortable at one particular position, which is which is true. as old as time with the staff. Well, that's another thing that I could never understand with this group. From your vantage point, what do you think is the best way to deploy him moving forward? Because he is one of the guys that are going to be under contract next year when this new regime comes in, and he's got a fifth-year option to earn or try to earn. Or contract yeah, I mean, he's, a, he's a, a will linebacker that needs a good – that is at his best when a good mic is next to him. And whether – like, that mic doesn't have to be – like, we, I don't know what it looks like with a premier mic next to him, but he's played his best ball when, like, Cole Holcomb was in charge and, like, really helping him out. And when Will, or when Cody Barton got comfortable, like there was a two-game stretch this season when Cody Barton was healthy and and finally like settled in, and he and Jamin were playing together before Cody got hurt, and now Jamin's hurt, and Jamin was a pretty damn good player in those games. So the sample size is small this year because Cody was swimming upstream uh, again, just terribly mismanaged earlier in the year, and like he's not elite, so it took him longer than you, an elite player would to adapt. Um, but yeah, like if I can get a really good Mike linebacker who's smart and knows the defense and Jamin's like, hey, dude, that's your go get the football. That's that's the best deployment of his skills. And he's very good at that. Run, chase, tackle, shed block. Jamin Davis is excellent. Yeah, that is for, for sure the strength of his game. Moving forward, man, he is he's one of those guys that I'm really bummed out that he's going on IR because the final four weeks was supposed to be about guys like him that are going to you know, continue to showcase themselves for whatever regime is going to come in here or the other 31 teams around the league if the regime decides they want to move on from them. So uh, damn sure bummed out for Jamin Davis. In terms of other overreactions, Burgundy and Gold specific, last week when I filled in for you, I haven't gotten your, your, your take or stance on this. Last week when I filled in for you, we discussed Olu Fashanu versus Jaden Daniels at the number four overall pick. For the Washington Commanders, Washington got a lot of help this weekend from other teams in the NFL. Uh, shout sure out the Titans last night, doing the damn thing, beating Miami. If the season, Tommy DeVito, hey, Tommy De- when you do hey, it, it actually, you, Tommy DeVito. it actually looks right when you do it. Um, but no, Washington though, if the season ended today, would have the number four overall pick in April's draft. I believe Matt Miller of ESPN dropped his first mock of. Who, the- by the way, will be a guest on Take Command this week. Ooh, where's that? Uh, make sure you, Thursday. Make so, sure you make sure you subscribe. check that out. Um, but Matt, for some reason, had Washington picking fifth. Um, they are fourth. He had them taking Olu Fashanu at five. Let's play hypothetical Harry here. When we get to April, what do you think the decision is going to be at that time? I don't do have you, any idea. Like, we, it depends on who gets hired and what they think of Sam Howell and how Sam plays. Like, I realize that's not a very sexy sports radio answer, but like. The honest-to-God truth is the, the biggest thing that can change over the next four games is what everyone around the league thinks of Sam. If Sam goes and lights it up over the next four games, then there's a pretty good chance he's your starting quarterback next year. And if that ha- happens, I'm fine with that. If he starts 16 through 20 of his NFL career, he's on the right trajectory. Like I'm pretty psyched about that if I'm an organization with an incumbent good quarterback. If he stinks up the joint, then i probably easily move in the other direction. Um, my guess is that I like Sam Howell. I believe in, that he is made up of the right stuff and he's going to perform well enough to earn his spot. Um, 
But it also depends on what you think of Jaden Daniels. Because if you think Jaden Daniels is like an all-pro caliber quarterback, you take Jaden Daniels. And so I, I think that's the thing that people are going to have to reconcile is like there are two separate evaluations that you have to hold up next to each other. Is Sam good or is Sam great? Is Sam bad? Like where on that scale is he? Do you think Jaden Daniels is good, great, or bad? And then you act accordingly. Like it's actually in some ways it's not that hard, that part of it, but why I get to sit here and get paid my salary to, to talk on into microphones for it um, is because I don't actually have to do the evaluation. The scouts and GMs that actually have to do the evaluating, that's why they get paid a lot more. And um, they it's kind of funny because they actually aren't right that often, especially with especially that position, right? Yeah. But they're still better than yeah. everyone else at doing it. Right. And that just goes to show you. And this is, by the way, another thing that I would be talking about and considering if I am future commander's GM is the easiest evaluation position-wise is offensive line. If you're good at offensive line in college, you are very, very likely to be good at, at offensive line in the pros. If you're good at quarterback at college, there is no effing way to know how good you're going to be as a pro. And if you're like not that special in college, you could be Brock Purdy. So there's it's, that. It's it's really, really, really hard. And what you've seen with Howell is he can be good in the NFL. So you have to be really convinced that Jaden Daniels is going to be better than that, and that's that's the choice they're going to make. Everyone keeps talking about how attractive this job is. It's a hard job, too, because the talent evaluator that comes in, and you're going to have to choose between Sam and the quarterbacks that you're scouting. You're going to have the picture of, of Sam colored differently from the folks in the building, and then you're going to have your own evaluation on him. So I just think while it is an attractive job, whoever gets hired, they're going to have to earn their money right away because you got big-time decisions to make off the rip. Sure, but like if I've got to make like every team needs a quarterback, and so unless you are inheriting, like this is what makes LA kind of a crazy job. You don't inherit top five quarterbacks very often. Ever, Joe Herbert's maybe not top five, depending on you know how he's played this season and whatever. Although it would help if receivers catch the ball. Um, But like you don't you don't inherit twenty four year old, twenty five year old top flight quarterbacks ever, and. The Chargers are going to be that. And by the way, it's what makes Chicago uh, potentially really attractive is you could inherit a generational quarterback. I know that, that, that Gruden, Jay Gruden has said this on our air. Like, he would go to Chicago because you get to go to the Hall of Fame because you're going to get to coach Caleb Williams. And apparently Jay is that high on Caleb Williams. I don't have a scouting report on any of these guys yet, which also makes it harder to answer your question. But I, I think if you're looking at Washington – we're actually going to do this exercise uh, when it's not my day off tomorrow, and I'm back in the chair because I didn't get selected for a jury. Yeah. Oh, By did? the way, crazy story um, about that that I'll tell tomorrow on the show, um, but happy to, to hop on here. Like, if you're, if, if you're ranking the things that are important to you, ownership is the most, would be the most important thing to me. For sure. And I would rank the Washington ownership situation over every other job that's going to be available. The second thing is probably pay, and Josh is, Harris is going to pay uh, just as much as the next guy. I mean, Tepper is going to pay out of his you-know-what, but like, <laughs> you're going to have to to get anybody to, to work for you exactly. after what he's done. But then the third thing I would say is resources over roster. And like those things, things are tied together. But like if I'm going to have to make a quarterback decision, I'd rather have the fourth pick and $80 million to play with. Right. And by the way, an extra high second rounder to potentially move up if I need to, then, you know, a lot of the other situations that are going to be available, which again is what makes Chicago so weird is because they actually 
are kind of in the ultimate situation. They have two top, you know, seven picks probably in this draft, plus a ton of cap space, you know, et cetera, et cetera. We will see. It's going to be very interesting to monitor this through the final month of the season and then getting into the offseason. I was joking with Anthony. I wonder what Sports Talk Radio was like in Philadelphia or Kansas City. But Amateur are not talking draft right now on December 12th. Uh, 2023. You're going to hang around with us for one more segment, Craig. Um, I'm going to make a call here because it's my show. Linnell, it's 5:48, bro. Just double the break. Let's double the break. Let's double so the let's break, just man. let's just let's just keep going. Let's just keep going. Then I wanted to, I wanted to get to this with youngest you. in charge movement. Next lesson: clock management. It's harder right. than it looks, kids. My my clock management is uh, similar to one Ronald Eugene Rivera. So, <laughs> so there's that. You had Sam Fortier on yesterday who broke the story about monumental sports, Caps and Wizards potentially uh, wanting to move to the Commonwealth. Now, we got a little bit of news on that about an hour ago. Tomorrow, 9 a.m. Eastern time, Glenn Youngkin and Ted Leonsis set to address the media, and I think it's at that time they will officially announce their intentions to move the Wizards and the Caps to, I guess we're talking Northern Virginia or somewhere in Virginia. Uh, Potomac Yards, yeah. Potomac so this Yards. is the Alexandria area, kind of somewhere between like Old Town and Reagan Airport, kind of in that part of the map. I have been annoyed is the word that I would use to describe my, my feelings towards, you know, Mayor Bowser and the D.C. government and how thirsty they are for this commander's stadium. I don't blame Ted Leonsis one iota here, though, and here's why. First of all, the overreaction, I guess, in all of this is I think it's a really bad move for the Wizards. I don't think the Caps fans will continue to travel, but the Wizards are already struggling to get people to fill up Cap 1. You move them to Virginia, I don't know how much of the Wizards fan base exists in Virginia. It feels like majority of their fans reside in D.C. and Maryland. I don't know how much... Of an impact that's going to have, it definitely worries me. If the product improves, obviously people will go anywhere to watch good basketball. But, man, I think Mayor, Mayor Bowser just has bigger fish to fry than worrying about stadiums. 43% of ninth graders, Craig Hoffman, have exceeded their excused absence limit in D.C. public schools. Yet Mayor Bowser is worried about stadiums? That should be the last thing that her and the D.C. government should be worried about. Nats Park is in the middle of a damn war zone. Cap One Arena is in the middle of a war zone. Part of why Ted Leonsis wants to move to Virginia is they're not giving, there's not a strong enough police presence around Capital One Arena. He has helped, him and Abe Poland, have helped build up that downtown Chinatown area and how he's got to move because I don't want to give money. If there's someone they should be giving money to, I think it should be the Caps and the Wizards, not the Commanders. I don't know how your economics work, the logic you just said. Like, if money is finite, which is a whole separate economic topic, like, why would I give $600 million to a billionaire when I can put it towards public schools? Like, it's, the, it's at the end of the day, it's yeah. the same budget. So, like, I, I don't know. That's I've thought about this a lot. I, I've thought about this a lot from from multiple angles. I think from the team's angle, I agree with you. I don't think this, is, this is, should be their first choice. I think finding a way to stay in the district – uh, and that area, theor- in theory, is a perfect place because it's incredibly centralized. It's accessible by basically the right like me- the metro is right there. Um, and the red line coming down from Maryland, um, you know, the the it's not that hard to get to from the blue silver line um, to transfer into there. And then obviously the green yellow line runs right through Gallery Place as well. Um, it's it's tremendously convenient. There's a ton of parking garages around. 
Um, but, and, and this is something that I really want to explore on the show tomorrow. And like, I'm going to try to get like urban developer type of people on to talk about this because realistically that downtown area, since a Poland put the MCI center there mm -hmm. in 2000, whatever it was, or late nineties, like it has steadily gone up, but there was a huge data point that changed the trajectory of everything. And that is the pandemic. That area is incredibly dense in office space. People don't work in offices anymore. Like we go in when we have to do stuff, although ironically I'm sitting here uh, joining you from my home studio, but like even radio, like I do the show from home once a week, that hybrid work is here to stay because too many workers were like, see, we can do this from home. Why would I spend an hour commuting from my right. suburban home every day? And by the way, during the pandemic, a lot of people moved out of the city because they're like, we want space. And so you have a very different economic model that we still are coming to grips with because it's still less than five years old and like understanding the the business model of what it means to exist in a downtown urban area and specifically that area of this urban downtown in dc is something that like mayor bowser the city council the business owners the developers the citizens like sports fans not sports fans we're all trying to figure it out and so if you're her like I don't, I'm not, and by the way, like Ted Leonis is talking about taking his company public. You know, he's, he's looking to buy this and do that. Like you're telling me you got enough money to go buy the nationals, but you need $600 million from Chris, me as yeah. a city. Like get lost, man. Like, I don't, I don't, I am not in the business of I giving billionaires money. Um, so I hear you. I, I think that there's some element of that. And by the way, most of citizens of DC agree with me on that. So, you know, politically speaking, so I, I that's going to be you. unpopular. But yeah, I, I, I would say this, too. like even the, with the commander stuff. Yeah. I mean, the commanders to me is different because there's like a history and a spiritualness to it. And at the end of the day, like entertainment does cost money. When you go to the movies, it's not about investing in the movie. You go because you want the entertainment. And so if we have to pay as citizens of whether it's D.C., Maryland or Virginia to go to this thing closer by, that's a price I'm willing to pay on some level. I think the, the final point I'll make, though, is this. A lot of stadium developments around the country and around the world actually are not good economic boosts for a city. And I think what this could, this could wind up being a win-win because Ted's going to get his space in his entertainment district and, and the money that comes with that and all of that in Virginia. He's also going to get a ton of public money and the economics in Virginia are way different, obviously, than they are in DC. And it could be a chance to be like, Hey, we're not going to, we're not going to keep capital one arena for concerts and things like that. Like we're going to knock this down. We're going to build affordable housing. We're going to build grocery stores. We're going to build, a community there and allow people to live in a way that hopefully attacks the other issues you're talking about and brings down crime and helps education. And there's, there's a lot of stuff that could happen there from an economic development that could completely transform that area. If you lose capital one arena in a way that's positive, I haven't, I don't have the expertise or have not. You already got it. That's I, I don't even want to talk about it no more. Cause I was like thinking, well, what do they do with the space? Boom. They got to find public housing or, or find affordable housing. I mean, that's all a huge problem all across area. the city. And so, like, that's I don't have the expertise. Yeah. Like, I'm not a, I'm not an urban developer. I am not a sociologist. Like, I want to talk to those people because I want to understand it better. But I do know enough on the big picture that there's a lot of precedent for that. And I think that makes a lot of sense from the city side of it. Also, having the basketball team and 300 nights of events at Capital One Arena and the hockey team and, and you know and a co concerts and all that kind of stuff is also can be good for the city. Yeah. But they have to figure out how to reshape that area because of <sighs> a lot of different things. And 
all these problems are also intersectional. But again, that's getting way off the sports track. And now we're yeah, in a different well, show. to speak to that about the concerts, Anthony, I think you went to the Rod Wave concert, correct? I did indeed. How many cars broken into after that event? Over 300? Yeah, I didn't drive. It's, but yeah, it's, that did happen. It's a, it is a rough area, and I know crime exists everywhere, but. Whew. It does. Well, the thing is about crime, real quick, like crime exists where there's people, and cities are densely populated. So oh, crime rates are actually aren't yeah. that different in cities versus urban or suburban uh, or rural areas. It's just like, how many people do you have packed into a square mile? And. In a city, there's a lot. So the crime is higher because there's more people, but the rate isn't actually that much higher, uh, broadly speaking. A lot to discuss and tackle over the next couple of months in terms of the commanders and where their stadium is going to go. We'll get some information tomorrow uh, about the future of monumental sports with the Caps and the Wizards. Craig, appreciate you giving us some time, my man. I'm going to kick you off your own show. Yeah, back to my day off. (laughs) It's Craig Hoffman, ladies and gentlemen. Final half hour of the program left to go on the other side of this break. We'll let you hear from Montez Sweat, who had some pretty damn interesting things to say about the culture of the Washington Commanders. That is next here on the Hoffman Show.